You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much, dear Lord. We've sung about your love. A love that, dear Lord, we can't even begin to comprehend as parents or as a married couple or as a dear close friend. Sometimes we try to somehow put into words, whether they be in a sermon or in a song, the love of a sovereign, almighty God. We stretched out the universe, as the Bible said, as if it were a canvas or a tent and painted upon it all that we see who has named every star. And yet we are told that there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on all the seas. You're a God that in the fullness of time you stepped into your creation, robed in the flesh of man. And your son Jesus Christ bore our sin, the penalty of our rebellion, our failures. You were pierced for our transgressions. You were wounded for our iniquities. You were the supreme ransom to set us free. You alone are worthy to be praised. And yet, dear Lord, when we sing of your love, we, we try desperately to understand how anyone can love us the way you do. It's an unconditional, unearned love that knows every idiosyncrasy, knows every secret, every skeleton in the closet, knows every word that comes out of our mouth every thought that comes across our mind and yet loves us. And so, Lord, we give you the glory and honor. And we pray, dear Lord, now that you would wrap those loving arms around each one of us. And if there's one here, one person here that does not understand and know your love, that today that you would invade their heart with a love that, dear Lord, is beyond anything they could imagine. And that you will give them the peace that comes in being right with you. We pray, dear Lord, for Reggie and those that lead Children's Church today. We thank you for the theological and doctrinal integrity of men and women who walk with you, to whom we can entrust our children and know, dear Lord, that they are learning the deep truths of your word. So, Lord, protect them. Lord, I pray that you cleanse me and forgive me, Lord, if there should be anything in my mind in my heart, anything that has come out of my mouth or into my eyes, any thought, deed, anything, Lord, that would interfere with me being a messenger, a tool in your hand, then, Lord, by the blood of Jesus Christ, cleanse me and forgive me. Lord, I pray that same prayer for every heart that listens. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can remain standing as the children are making their way to Children's Church. And again, uh, we're thankful for Jana stepping in today. Uh, We are going to look today for a few weeks at the book of Titus. Boy, isn't this a great group of kids? I think we need to give them a round of applause. And to give our fearless leader, Reggie, a round of applause. And be praying for Reggie. Tomorrow we begin summer enrichment. And if you can, if you can volunteer and help in any way, we would be glad to use you. Listen, if you can't do but one day, 
if you would be willing, we've got 20 days that we're pouring into these kids. If you say, well, I can't do but one day, then come do that one day. That would be a help to Reggie. I feel sorry for Reggie. It's been very difficult this year. So I'm putting in an advertisement. And you see him, he came back in and nodded his head because he wants us to know that uh, this is very important. So, But anyway, we're in the book of Titus. If you go over in the New Testament toward the back of your Bible, you'll see First and Second Timothy. And then you'll come to three chapters, and it's the book of Titus. This past uh, week, I had uh, ran home to eat lunch. There's this little place where you can buy a meal for $6.54. So I had my fried chicken, my mashed potatoes, and uh, uh, some kind of beans and a piece of cornbread, glass of tea. So I went home and I sat this plate down and I opened the styrofoam container. I pulled one piece of that chicken. I'm making you hungry, I'm sure. I pulled one piece of chicken, a bite, put it in my mouth when my phone rang and it was Alicia. I knew immediately, Alicia's got a voice that you can tell in a minute if something's wrong because of the way she talks. And she said, Mr. Jeff, she said, Titus has fallen, he's hit his head, he's bleeding everywhere, where are you? I said, well, I'm at the house. And so I covered that three plus miles in record time. They had the road closed, but that did not stop grandfather who drove through that at about 60, 65 miles an hour. I told the state guys, get out of the way. I had my flashers on. When I got there, Ethan, I'm kind of glad Ethan's not in here because Ethan is a tender child who's a very loving kid. Caleb was absolutely a mess. He was just crying. He's got such a big heart. He's a big kid with a big heart. He was just crying. Ethan was trying to comfort him. Alicia's standing there covered in blood. And then I look at Titus, who's in his car seat, and he's sitting there just looking at me like, what's all the fuss about? <laughs> he's not crying. He's fully, uh, he's got all of his composure. And eventually they would, uh, I looked at him and checked him out as best I could. He used to work with an ambulance service, did this kind of work for years. I said, I don't, he doesn't appear to have a concussion, head, head wounds are, they bleed a lot. I went through all of that, but just to be safe, probably you should take him to Batson. So Alicia left with Titus. Now, there, I tell you that story because a lot of times when the Jewish people were naming their children, they would name them. In fact, I wrote this down. They would often name their children based, listen to this, on the character or the attributes they wish to see emulated in their children. I remember when Jeffrey told me that his firstborn would be named Silas, I cried. And I looked at him and I said, Silas was Paul's companion after uh, Barnabas and Paul were divided. I said, it's believed that Silas had the painful task of telling the early New Testament church that Paul had died. Can you imagine the weight of that as he began to get that information out 
Paul had passed away. The names of children, I believe, are very important. I think we need to pray over them. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a fight or in a conflict or in a debate or a battle that you thought to yourself, I need somebody covering my back. I need somebody watching my back. Well, in some ways, when you look at the Apostle Paul, Titus was that kind of individual. And so in Titus chapter 1, we're going to do an introduction here today. Titus chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, it says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true son, in our common faith. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you and we love you and we give you glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now let me give you four quick facts. Number one, Paul saw Titus as not only one of his converts, not only somebody that he had personally led to Christ, but he's also an individual that Paul discipled. In fact, Paul calls him his true son in the faith. And so in verse 4, you realize that Titus has a strong relationship with the Apostle Paul. Secondly, Titus accompanied Paul to Jerusalem at a very painful visit in which it would raise such a ruckus that ultimately it would lead to the arrest of Paul and eventually to the death of Paul. And it was because of this, Paul did not... Titus was a Greek. He was not a Jew. He was a Greek convert. And because of that, Paul would not have him circumcised which made the Jewish leaders, even Jewish Christians, angry and upset with Paul. In fact, let me get you to do this. Take a left and go back to the book of Galatians. Go back past Philippians, past Ephesians, and go to the book of Galatians chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, Paul is talking here to the church at Galatia. Paul says, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised. Now circumcision was a covenant rite that was made to the Jew. When a Jew, a Jew was circumcised at eight days, a Jew, if you converted to Judaism, you had to be circumcised because it was a sign of the covenant. Under the New Testament, the New Covenant, under the death, burial, resurrection, the blood of Jesus Christ, the covenant was no longer by the circumcision of the flesh, but now listen, by the circumcision of the heart that was done by the Holy Spirit. So Paul says to the church at Galatia, who's wanting to revert back to some of the old Jewish practices, such as circumcision, 
Paul says this, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. In other words, what Paul said is, we were set free of the Levitical sacrificial system. We were set free of that works salvation. We were set free of that covenant of circumcision. We've been set free of all of that, and now we have a freedom that is in Jesus Christ. Now, everybody listen closely. Your enemy would love to bring you back under the bondage of a salvation by works. We are all tempted to revert back to this idea of checking off the boxes and determining whether we are saved or not. You are saved not by your works, but by the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. It's not of anything you and I can earn, ever earn. Now, everybody ought to be excited about that. But Paul says here, he said, this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks. They spied on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus to make us slaves. Verse 5, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain, might remain with you. In other words, Paul said, we will never go back to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the old work salvation, sacrificial covenant by circumcision. We were not going to go back to that. And my friend, I would encourage you not to go back to that. So Titus, listen. Uh, I guess I'd tell another Alicia story since she's not here sick. Titus is sick at home. But they had to put their pit bull down a few years ago, a couple of years ago. And Ledge was out of town. So again, Mr. Jeff, so I'm faced with the responsibility of putting this blue pit bull down. And it's a massive dog. It's unbelievable. In South Jackson, this dog, while they lived here for years, was to me something that I took solace in because this dog was a no-nonsense protective who would protect the family. I'll never forget at a certain point when it came time to put... If you've ever been there, we've, I've been there more than once. When you have to put your animal down... It is horrible. And uh, I got down, and I can just about cry now. Me and Alicia got down on our knees, and we wrapped our arms around that pit bull, and we just hugged that dog, kissed on it. And I never forget, I looked at that dog. Janice is a dog lover, she'll understand. I looked at that dog, took that big face in my hands, and I looked at that dog, and I said, Thank you, God for giving this animal to my family to protect them. And I looked at that dog and told that dog that I loved it. You know, the Bible says that a righteous man takes care of his animals. Let me tell you what Titus was. You know what Titus was to the Apostle Paul? He was a pit bull. He was an unbelievable individual. He's so distinctly different from, Ty from Timothy 
which we studied about this morning in our Sunday school, Paul would not ref Paul refused to pacify some of the Jewish leaders and the threats on his life, but he knew who to take with him. He knew to take Titus. Titus was a heavyweight. Paul would send Timothy to straighten out the problems at the church at Ephesus. But what letters in your Bible are the largest letters he wrote? What church did he write to? Corinth. Corinth. First and Second Corinthians are these massive long letters in comparison to First and Second Thessalonians or Colossians or or Philippians. You see, the the magnitude of Paul's letters to Corinth is because Corinth. In fact, Paul, it's believed, wrote four letters. One of them they called the severe letter that was so tough that the people got mad and tore it up. We don't even have a record of that, of that letter. It was so severe. But do you know who he had go to Corinth? He had, he had Titus. Titus was like a bulldog. Henry Haley writes this in Haley's handbook. He said, Titus returning from Corinth meets Paul in Macedonia. After explaining the situation in Corinth to Paul, Titus is sent back to Corinth ahead of Paul with what is known as the second letter to the Corinthians to pave the way for Paul's coming. He went on to say this, the fact that Titus was chosen to look after the troubled situation in Corinth indicates that Paul must have considered Titus a very capable, wise, and tactful Christian leader. He goes on to say, we hear seven or eight years later in this letter written by Paul to, to Titus about 65 A.D. And by Titus chapter 1 verse 5, it's evident that Titus is now not in Corinth, but he's in Crete, on the island of Crete. Now, if you go back and you look at Acts 27, in Acts 27, Paul is on a ship and he's on his way to Rome because he's a prisoner. He's been arrested, he's on his way to Rome, and he stops, the ship stops briefly at the southern coast of, of Crete, of the island of Crete. Paul's only there a very short time, but Paul immediately begins to try to see people come to Christ converted. He tries to plant the work in Crete, even though he's on his way to prison, and he has just a short time to be there. It was interesting. I was looking at Facebook yesterday, and I began to tear up, and uh, I turned and showed the mugshot to Sheila. And I said, Sheila, you see that guy? I said, when I went to hear Andy Watts preach on a Sunday evening at Meadow Grove, I said, I felt a tap on my shoulder, a man hugged my neck, and I recognized him immediately. He's a man that came to Christ while in prison. He said, things got so bad. He said, I was so heavy into drugs. I was arrested. He said, I prayed that law enforcement would find me. And he said, laying, he said, there wasn't even a place for me to lay my head that night in that prison in Brandon. He said, I laid on a cold, hard floor. And I thank God for that jail. I went to a meeting and a, and a guy pulled up in a golf cart. He said, Brother Jeff, come over here. I, I didn't recognize him at first. He told me his name. 
He said, Chris Brewer and, and guys in that prison have been sharing Christ. He said, I've listened to your podcast. I listened to the messages on Ephesians. He said, we're all listening to those messages on Ephesians. I turned and showed that mugshot and read his testimony. And I said, Sheila, this is an example of what God can do in a man's life. Sheila and I were in a crowded Cracker Barrel over here in Pearl. African-American young lady came over. Sheila, at a certain point, put her hand on her shoulder. And she said, how can we pray for you? That young lady began to tear up as if she were going to cry. She said, this has been a horrible day. People have been so disrespectful. She said, I am so worn out. And she said, a moment ago, I went back in that kitchen and I prayed, God send somebody with a smile on their face that would treat me like a human being. And guess whose face she saw? She went on to say, I've been in Itabina, been going to school. I'm transferring to Jackson State this fall. I told her, I said, well, I've got a son that graduated from Jackson State. She began to share her life story to the degree that other waitresses, you could tell her you're getting frustrated. You need to get back. You need to get back to work. And then finally she said, y'all are at where the multicolored bus is, isn't it? I said, well, it used to be there. She said, I came to that church for years. She began to tell us one story after another of the impact and the influence of this church on her life. She said, I am a Christian. I'm going to Jackson State. And when I get my, when I get my degree, I'm going back into the inner city, plant my life, and teach children. And she sat there and she bubbled over to Kanye, just talking about the Lord, talking about what God had done in her life. The Apostle Paul is not on Crete for just a brief moment and already he begins to plan a church. And it's believed, one writer said, that he was probably released in 63 AD from his first imprisonment. Paul's imprisoned twice in Rome. First time he's released, second time he's murdered, he's killed, he's beheaded. But in his first release from prison in Rome, it's believed that he went east on a missionary journey he, along with Titus, went to the island of Crete and he left Titus there with the responsibility of setting up the work there on that island of Crete. In Titus chapter 3, verse 12, Titus will eventually be replaced by Artemis and Tychicus, which are also being discipled by Paul. Titus is asked then to rejoin Paul in Greece. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. We don't have time to go there, but there Paul is in Rome. He's arrested, and uh, he speaks about Titus. And listen to this. It's believed historians say that after the death of Paul, Titus will go to Crete. He will settle down there. He became the bishop of the churches there in Crete, and he died at Crete. He died on that island. Why do I say all that? Because you and I have the responsibility of expanding the kingdom of God. I don't care if you're in Cracker Barrel. I don't care if you're in school, in your workplace, wherever you are, whatever door God has opened up. God has strategically placed you there to bring that institution, that business, that school, that neighborhood, that community to Christ. Russell looked at me Wednesday night and he's or one night this week in Bible school. He was talking about his burden for his community, this community. My friend, this city is in absolute disarray. 
And he began to talk about maybe cooking out and, and, and getting some speakers and setting it up in this park and, and reaching into that neighborhood. And I said, God's put that on your heart. Now do something about it. This church will equip you with everything you need to carry out God's vision to reach this community for Christ. Man, what beat in the heart of Paul, what beat in the heart of Titus was an unbelievable commitment to expanding the kingdom of God. So in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, and, you, and, and, and let me say, a, a letter in the New Testament time, in this particular time, they didn't end the letter with who wrote the letter. They told you who was writing the letter at the very beginning. The first word in that letter is what? Paul. I was telling uh, Shelby, which she's just unbelievably gifted and talented when it comes to painting. Sheila was sitting there and Elam and, and some of the kids were sitting there painting with these old cheap children's brushes and this old cheap paint. And uh, Sheila looked at Shelby and said, Shelby, pick up a brush. You should be painting too. I look over there and this human eye is beginning to appear on paper with this old cheap brush and cheap children's brush and paint. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, my goodness. And as this eyes begin to, to form and come to paper, I looked at Sheila and I said, make sure you get that paper before you leave. I told Shelby, I said, Shelby, please become famous so that portrait you pencil draw, drew of me will become a, a, a prominent piece of work so my name may be, you know, no, I'm teasing. <laughs> but I was telling Shelby down there in the kitchen, I said, I was talking about a man. He, he walks in, he walks into one of these secondhand stores in England, I think it was in England, British Pounds, and he sees this picture, it's a Picasso, and it's got Picasso's signature. Well, it was being sold for about 300 U.S. 300 pounds, no, about 300 U.S. dollars or thereabout. And he thought, even though it's a copy, even though it's just a copy and a fake or whatever, I'm going to buy it. Well, on a whim, he takes it to an art expert and come to find out it's a Picasso, a legitimate, original Picasso. This man went from $300 to mega millions. Why? Because he saw a signature. And he saw work and he thought, well, it may be a, it, it, he thought it was a fake. Paul says he's, Paul, a servant, and the word there is doulos. It's a slave. What Paul was saying, I'm a slave. I live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me show you. In, in New Testament times, or all the way back even in the Old Testament, Moses writes about this. Slavery, servanthood, working was a part of it. Over 50% of the Roman Empire was slaves and servants. A lot of times what a servant would do, a slave would do, in, in Jewish culture, if he had a good master, if he worked for a good family, a lot of times when it came time for his freedom, rather than being free, he would say, I want to be a servant in this household to this family for a lifetime. And what they would do is they would take that servant and they would carry him to the door, to the opening 
of the temple. And a priest would take his ear and put a dowel through his ear. And the dowel in his ear, we think we just come up with this piercings, you know. You see some people that are now pierced in all kinds of ways. We think, well, look, it's all the way back in the Old Testament. And I love what one writer said. He said, when you saw such a one, when you would see a servant walking the streets and he had that dowel in his ear, you did not say, what a great servant, what a great slave, but rather you said, what a great master he must serve that he would give his life in service. And my friend, you and I, when we come to Christ, we, when we call him Lord, what we are saying is, Lord, you are the master of my life. I am a slave and a servant. Jim Henry, pastor of First Baptist Church Orlando for years, which said that he'd get up, stand at the side of his bed, put his feet together, salute up toward the heavens and say, private first class Jim Henry reporting for duty as if Jesus Christ were his commander-in-chief. Paul says a servant of God and an apostle. He's a messenger. He's an ambassador. He's a representative. He's a representative and an ambassador of Jesus Christ, of the kingdom of God. I don't know how many of you have traveled overseas, but let me tell you one thing. There's nothing more annoying than an arrogant, loudmouthed American overseas. You want to crawl up under something and hide. Because you realize that they are ruining the witness and the testimony of this great nation. One of the things that the International Mission Board would tell missionaries, you are an ambassador and a representative of this country. Don't shame us. But my friend, what Paul was saying here is you are an ambassador, a representative of the kingdom of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us in this room are an ambassador of Christ. He goes on to say, Paul, the servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect. Let me tell you one thing about faith. You and I are saved by grace through faith. Adrian Rogers made this statement. He says, salvation is when the hand of faith takes the hand of grace and they enter into an eternal agreement. God holds his hand down, his hand of grace down. At the same time, you and I lift our hand of faith up. And when he takes our hand, listen to this, you and I are eternally secure in Christ. Now for every parent in this room, you know when you're dealing with a defiant, rebellious kid and you were getting ready to cross a major highway and you reached down took the hand of that child and you get out in the middle of that highway, that child starts to throw a fit, tries to pull their hand away, what are you going to do? You're going to either, you're going to squeeze their hand tighter, you may spank their rear, but you're not going to let go. When you are in the hand of Jesus Christ, he said, when you are in my hand, no man can pluck you out. No man. That means you, sir. That means you, ma'am. You can't pluck yourself out of his hand. The hand of faith reaches up and takes the hand of grace, and eternally God says, that's it. 
I'm going to hang on to you and lead you right through life and right into eternity. And that's not based on anything you and I've done other than reach our hand up and say, God, I, I believe. He says the faith of God's elect. CJ was asking me, he said, Brother Jeff, we're talking a little bit about Calvinism. And he was saying, what is that? Well, the word there, ekletos, eklegomai in the Greek, is the idea of being chosen. And a lot of people get called up theologically in trying to figure out uh, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, and there's much discussion. Let me give you an example. Presbyterians believe strongly in the sovereignty of God. They believe in predestination, that God has predestined some to go to heaven and the rest of humanity to go to hell. They believe that in the irresistible grace, that the elect cannot resist the grace of God. They believe in, uh, that, it's, uh, that it's unconditional. That, you know, so this is the Presbyterian. The Methodists, they, they, they struggle with eternal security. They believe you can be saved, but you can lose your salvation. In Baptists, we're traditionalists. We're kind of right here in the middle. We say, well, we see some good things here. We see some good things here. But here's us. We don't necessarily hold to any particular systematic theology. We were called people of the book. In other words, what we believe that it is positional, that God has made the vehicle of His grace, His salvation, open to every one of us, and we have a free will and the ability to say, God, I believe, and we take that hand of grace, we enter into an eternal covenant relationship with Christ. Jesus Christ is the vehicle of our salvation. And that's what He's saying here. He's saying here, the purpose, Paul says, is to strengthen the faith of God's elect, those whosoever wills, who have repented of their sin and placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. And he goes on to make this statement, and this is so good. He says, Paul, the servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth. You know what the purpose is right now? You may doze sleep, you may be indifferent to it. But my responsibility as your pastor is to teach God's word. Verse by verse, word for word, every bit of it. Why? So that one day when you stand before God, you say, God, I didn't know. God will call me forward and he'll say, here's my witness. What is the purpose is knowledge. Sunday school, Bible study is education. VBS, vacation Bible school, Wednesday night, everything that we do, the purpose of it is to increase, Paul says, your knowledge of the truth. And what does it lead to? What does it lead to? Look at that. The truth, the knowledge of truth leads to what? It leads to godliness. Godliness is piety toward God. It's not a word we use often. It's holiness, godliness. It means reverence or respect for God. 
It means because we love God and because He's our and because we feel like we're a servant, a slave, He's our Lord, He's our master, then we're trying to live a life that pleases Him. And we know a life that pleases Him, a life that is holy, that is godly. And when we're not holy, when we're not godly, we're beginning to listen. I can tell you what's happening. We have set this somewhere and we're not in it anymore. If I walked out in that parking lot right now and I saw a Bible that's laying up in the dash, and you take that thing and throw it up in the dash and allow it to be sun-dried and to be set aside as if it doesn't mean nothing until you come again next Sunday, my friend, you'll have a problem being godly and being holy. My responsibility is not to keep you awake. Some of you right now having the problems that you're having because you'll stay awake in a ball game and you can't stay awake in the body of Christ and listen to the Word of God. Go to Starbucks, drink three espressos, then come to church. I guarantee your heart will be pounding so hard you'll stay awake. Let me tell you, every parent in this room, your responsibility as a parent or a grandparent is every opportunity you have is to give your children and your grandchildren, those that are under your care, the knowledge that they need to be godly, holy men and women. That's it. I wrote this question down. We'll close in a moment, but does what I'm reading, does what I'm watching, let me ask you something, does what you watch help you live a godly life? You say, Pastor, you don't understand. You'd think I'm not like any other man battling in this room. Telling Sheila, we can't have that channel. We can't have that cable package. Sheila, we can't have that. We've got to have a limit of this on Netflix or whatever. We can't watch this. We can't do this. You think it's not hard? You think I'm not battling with this old carnal fleshly nature? You better believe I am. You know what the Bible says? Do not give any occasion to the devil. Let me ask you something. Are you making allowances, giving occasions for the enemy to come into your life and steal the only thing that you can offer Christ, and that's godliness and holiness? You know what I... And, and, and let, let me say this. Whether you do it or not, I guess at this point I really don't care. But I can tell you when it comes to marriage matters and those little videos that you see on Facebook... I put a lot of time and work and attention. That's about 40 years of talking to people. Let me tell you what I'm good at. You may not think I'm not good at anything, but I can tell you something that I'm good at. I'm good at marriage counseling. This past week, I gave counsel that I guarantee one thing. If you listen to it, it change your marriage, change your life, and you'd never have adultery ever show up in your life. But I tell you, begging and pleading people to share it. Begging the membership of this church not only to watch it, but to share it and make it available to their Facebook friends. Shame on you. And you may say, Brother Jeff, what do you mean? Because that's knowledge. And what we're doing, we are heralding. We are ambassadors. We're sending out knowledge. Hey, listen, you get the call. You get the call of a poor wife or husband who when they say three words on that phone, you know immediately you're dealing with adultery or some kind of sexual promiscuity and it breaks your heart as a pastor. It's the most difficult counseling session that I ever will deal with even more than the loss of a child. 
and I give you the tools and you don't share them, shame on you. You may get to heaven one day and the Lord may look at you and say, come here, I want to show you a couple. She was on the verge of adultery. He was on the verge of adultery. They were doing something. They were involved in something that was going to destroy their marriage, their home, their family, and their children and their grandchildren. It's going to reverberate. I had a grandmother that poured her heart out to me and wept and cried. Listen, it will reverberate in every single relationship. It will affect your testimony and your witness, and, and it will destabilize your home, your family, and it just keeps reverberating. One day when you're in heaven, the Lord looks at you and says, you know that day you shared that little Facebook video of about 15 or 20 minutes? That friend, you didn't know it, but they were on the verge of going into an adulterous relationship and that stopped them. You and I are heralds. He said it's for the faith. He says it's uh, and the knowledge of the truth. And we've got to close. I've gone too long. It leads to godliness. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. Wow. One of the great joys that you and I have is talking to people about the Word of God, the love of God, and the fact that Jesus Christ loves us. I want to ask you to stand. Jana, you come. I want you to take a moment with heads bowed and with eyes closed, nobody looking around. Heads bowed and with eyes closed, nobody looking around. Maybe God has spoken to you this morning. First of all, let me ask you a question. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, have you ever given your heart and life to Jesus Christ? The Bible says that you and I repent of our sin. What does that mean, to repent? It just means that there's remorse, there's regret, there's sorrow over the life that we've lived outside of the will and the, desk and the, and the direction of God's Word. We, we've lived in disobedience. To repent means that I feel sorry. It's a change of mind. It's remorse. It's regret. And then the Bible says we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, His finished work. Have you done that? Have you done that? Secondly, let me ask you this. Is your life right now, you say, Brother Jeff, I've prayed that prayer and I meant it. Have you followed in baptism? Have you ever been baptized publicly? It's an act of obedience. It's done when you and I become a Christian. Some of you in this room, you may have gotten saved after you got baptized. You need to get it in the right order. You get baptized after you get saved. My wife did that. She got saved years later and was rebaptized. You may need to do that today, to get it in the right order, to do the right thing. Let me ask you another question. Is your life where it needs to be right now with the Lord? Are you living the kind of life that brings God glory? Has godliness and holiness begun to slip out of your life? You're not where you need to be, you're ashamed. Right now, there's remorse, there's pain, there's hurt, even as I'm talking. Now, let me give you the good news. God doesn't wash His hands of you. Jesus doesn't let go of your hand right now because you're living in defiant disobedience against Him. He doesn't let go of you. 
You may be trying to pull your life and your hand out of his. He won't let go of you. He still loves you and cares about you. That's why you're convicted right now. That's why you may be disciplined right now. I know how it feels. I go through that too. And you may say, well, Brother Jeff, what do I do? You, you and I, we repent. God, I'm sorry. I've not been living lately like I should. God, I've been, I've been allowing some old habits to come back into my life. God, that I'm ashamed of. God, forgive me. Cleanse me. Lord, I want to draw near to you so you draw near to me. So God, forgive me. Our Heavenly Father, we just come, Lord, to this invitation. I pray, dear Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you today, that they would be saved. I pray, dear Lord, for some that may not be walking with you, that godliness, that, that, that holiness, is, that, that, that characteristic that defines you, Lord Jesus, has not been defining us too well. Lord, forgive us and cleanse us. Lord, for some that may be to rededicate their life, they may need to come publicly. For others, it's to come here to this altar and spend a moment in prayer saying, God, help me to live this life out in front of the people that I love. Help me, God, to be a better ambassador, a better witness. And Lord, whatever decisions are made today, we give you the glory and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come.